At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. This Christmas season, we invite you to look deeper into the incredible covenants God made with His people in Scripture. Tune into our current series, Gift Wrapped, From Longing to Lavish, to discover God's unwavering promises to meet the ultimate longings of our heart and ultimately renew our hope with the brilliant truth of the gospel. Hey, good morning, and uh, Amber and Natalie, thanks for leading us in worship today. Let's give them just a little uh, token of gratitude. And it is a joy for me to be with you today. Uh, I always enjoy coming to the Farmington Hills campus, seeing friends, and uh, meeting new folks as well. Uh, I am on the teaching team at Woodside. I'm not on staff full-time. Uh, I have my own ministry called SCORE Ministries. A lot of that focuses around the world of sports. I have the privilege to do the chapels for the Detroit Tigers. And uh, it really is sad because I was going to give all of you season tickets this year. And I couldn't do it. Uh, you, were on, you were on my list. Uh, but we actually had a lot of ministry go on despite uh, no fans at the ballpark. And uh, we did a lot of Zoom stuff. So we would do chapels on Sunday morning. Uh, I would be at my home in my home office. And guys would log in on their phone or iPad from the ballpark, uh, from a bus if they were on the road maybe, a hotel room. And then we did a number of Bible studies as well. And so uh, that ministry really went on uh, quite a, a bit and effectively. And uh, God did a, a lot of wonderful things through it. Some of you have been to the big event we do every year called Home Plate down at the ballpark. We invite churches all over the state come to a game early. Players come out and share their faith. We'll have as many as eight or 9,000 people at that event. This year, of course, we couldn't do it because there were no fans at the game. But we did a virtual home plate. And the Tigers actually asked us to put it together. And so eight of our guys uh, got on, and uh, we did an hour-long home plate virtually. If you'd like to see it, I encourage you to check it out. It's at our website. There's a link to it. Our website is homeplatedetroit.org, homeplatedetroit.org, easy to remember. And on that homepage, uh, at the bottom, there's a blue button, and it says, watch the virtual home plate 2020 event. And if you don't like baseball, I encourage you to watch it anyway. We had uh, Christian artist Matt Hammett do some songs for us. And the first song that Matt does is with his 10-year-old son named Bowen. Anyone know the story of Bowen Hammett? So Bowen, when he was born, almost died at birth, uh, major heart issues, uh, emergency surgery, and uh, last year had his third major, and I mean major, heart surgery. Before he went into surgery, his dad, Matt, said, hey, Bowen, uh, what do you want to do? Anything you want to do? And I mean, these are life-threatening surgeries and a uh, situation. And Bowen says, I'd like to make an album. And uh, so he and his dad put together an album. And Bowen does a lot of the singing on his own, but the one song that opens up our Home Plate event, and you can find on that link at homeplatedetroit.org, is a, a song called Heart Strong. And it really is a powerful song. So I encourage you, if for nothing else, you don't want to watch the baseball part, don't watch it. But at least go there and uh, watch that song. It is a joy for me to be with you today, and uh, we are beginning a Christmas series. And it's a little different Christmas series this year than uh, maybe what we've done in the past. Um, uh, how many of you, the name of the series is Gift Wrapped. How many of you like getting uh, things that are gift wrapped and opening them up? You all like doing that? Uh, you know, the gift wrapping probably serves two purposes. One, it's a thing of beauty. Man, there are some people that can gift wrap things and make it look so appealing, right? I'm not one of those guys. 
<laughs> duct tape is what I use, basically, to kind of get it all put together. I'll pay extra at the mall to have them gift wrap it. But one of the ideas of gift wrap is beauty. The other is it creates a little mystery. Like, hey, what's in it? We shake it. We uh, try to figure out what's inside that gift-wrapped box. And uh, that's what our Christmas series is about from a biblical viewpoint. Uh, In the Old Testament, they were looking forward to God's greatest gift, Jesus Christ. In the New Testament, we're looking back at how God's greatest gift, Christ came into the world, died for us, and rose from the dead. And so there's two different perspectives there. In the Old Testament, God gave them different things. Sometimes uh, little word pictures or types, or what we're going to talk about beginning today are covenants. And we'll say more about that in just a moment. To kind of give a clue about how this Messiah Christ would one day come as the ultimate gift. So in the Old Testament, they're kind of unwrapping the gift progressively throughout those 39 books. And then you get to the Gospels and Christ comes into the world and the gift is here. And so we're looking back at the gift having arrived. It's kind of like if at Christmas time you know what somebody got you. Do you ever have that? Where you know what your wife or your husband bought you, but they wrapped it up anyway? And there still is some appeal in unwrapping that gift as well, isn't there? Like, I wonder if they really got the one I wanted. Uh, I hope it's the right size. Did they get the color that uh, I wanted? Uh, You know, for me, it's this. It's, uh, I hope it works, and I hope all the parts are there if there's some assembly required, right? But there's still some anticipation. And so we're going to look at this series called Gift Wrapped, looking at five covenants that God made progressively through the Old Testament that start to unwrap the gift of Christ's coming to where we get to the New Testament and Christ is here. Uh, And so from our perspective, we know what the gift is, but there's still an excitement to it. The five covenants, and the covenant was this. It, It wasn't just a contract. Sometimes that's what it's Uh, akin to or people say it's akin to it's a contract and there are some similarities but a covenant was more a contract is a legal binding agreement a covenant was a spiritual commitment and there are several covenants mentioned in the bible and we're going to talk about five of them the one we'll begin with today is on the earliest pages of scripture in the book of genesis it's the noahic covenant a covenant that God made at the time of Noah. Uh, next week, the covenant will be the Abrahamic covenant, a covenant that God made through Abraham. Uh, then the covenant of uh, the Mosaic covenant that God made with the children of Israel on Mount Sinai. Then the Davidic covenant, a uh, covenant God made with King David. Those four are all in the Old Testament. They're wonderful covenants, but you know what? There are parts missing. They're not perfect. They're unwrapping to the fifth covenant we'll look at at Christmas time is the new covenant. And that is what Jesus Christ presented when he came as the perfect gift in the New Testament. So those are the five covenants 
uh, that we're going to be looking at over these days. And so we begin with the Noahic Covenant. The place in Scripture where that is found, and I encourage you to have a Bible, go there with me. Uh, and if you have a Bible with you or you don't, I would encourage you today or sometime this week, read the entire four chapters. We're not going to read all four chapters today, but they really are worth reading and going over. The story of Noah is found in Genesis chapter 6 through Genesis chapter 9. And the Noahic covenant itself is found at the end of that story in Genesis 9, and that's where we'll spend quite a bit of our time today. But we want to kind of give a little setting to it. So Genesis 6 through Genesis 9 is the story of Noah. God comes to Noah when Noah is 480 years old. Saying, what? He lives to be 950 years old. Okay? And uh, I think Social Security still kicked in at 65, though. And, um, but uh, he lived to be 950. You say, well, how's that possible? And if you read the account and the genealogies prior to the flood, uh, all but if you take one out, Enoch, who God raptured, the average lifespan is like over 900 years. Say, how's that possible? Scientifically, it is. And it goes back to how the earth was then, where there was a water canopy over the earth before the flood. When the flood comes, that canopy comes down, and now we're exposed to harmful rays and so forth. And now, immediately after the flood, lifespans begin decreasing rapidly. There are still some longer ones than we would expect today, but they pretty much quickly come down to what we have today. So don't be alarmed. Uh, it's literal. It's not figurative when it says he lived 950 years. So at the age of uh, 480, God says to him, I'm going to destroy the earth, uh, the inhabitants of the earth, uh, and all the living things on the earth, because man's wickedness is uh, all continual. The, the intent and heart of man is wicked continually, is what it says at the beginning of Genesis chapter 6. And so God is going to destroy all living things, all mankind, with the exception of eight people. Noah, his wife, his three sons, and their wives. And then, of course, the animals that are brought to the ark. Um, and, uh, and in chapter, uh, and so when uh, God tells Noah that, he begins to build this ark. The ark takes 120 years to build, uh, or that's the time that goes before the rain actually comes. The Bible tells us clearly when Noah was 600 years old is when the rains came. And it rained 40 days and 40 nights. That canopy came down, uh, waters from the deep, it says, uh, came up. And uh, the water was as high as the tallest mountain in the world. And you say, is that true? Yeah, I think it is. I think there's scientific, historical evidence for it. And then ultimately, by faith, we believe what God has said. And so that flood takes place. Noah and his family, when they enter the ark, will spend just over a year in that ark from start to finish. Uh, when the ark lands, they can't get out right away. They've got to wait for the waters to recede. So from start to finish, when they go into the ark, is about a year and I think it's 17 days. How about that? You talk about us being locked down with COVID for the last eight months or so. 
And it certainly has been a change and uh, restrictions and a burden in ways and other things. They were in this ark for over a year with nowhere to go. And so for that year, uh, they're in this ark. And, uh, and we get to then where uh, God says this to Noah prior to the flood in Genesis chapter 6, verse 17 and 18. Let me read these words. For behold, this is God speaking, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die, but I will establish my covenant with you. That's the first time in the Bible the word covenant is mentioned. And uh, many think uh, certainly the Noahic covenant was either the first or someplace it is the second covenant uh, that God had a covenant with Adam, the Adamic covenant that is referenced in the book of Hosea. And it's not, that word's not used in Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3. Uh, so there may have been a covenant earlier, but the first time the word is actually used is here with Noah, where God says, I will establish my spiritual commitment to you. And you know what, folks? That is the beginning of an unwrapping of what God's going to do and bringing the gift of Christ into the world. God has a spiritual commitment to his people. Going all the way back to Noah, through the Old Testament, the New Testament, to you and me today. God is committed to putting us on the right course and getting us to the right place spiritually. That's what he's about. That's the beginning of the unwrapping of why Christ, the new covenant, would come into the world. And so he says, I'll make a covenant. And now look what it says. You shall come into the ark. You, your sons, your wife, and your son's wife's with you. You shall come into the ark. Now that word comes really an important word. It's used several times in this passage. It's the idea, it's, sometimes it's translated enter. Some translations will use the word go. But I think the best translation, what we read here, is the word come. Let me illustrate it. If I invite you over to my house, and I meet you in the driveway, and I want you to come into my house, but I'm not ready to go in yet. I will say to you, why don't you, what, go into my house, right? But if you come over to my house and I'm inside my front door, and you come up the sidewalk, I'm going to get to say, and I want you to come in, I'm going to say to you, why don't you, what, come into my house? Because I'm in there. And when God says to Noah, you will come into the ark, what is God saying? In the ark you will find my presence and my protection. Isn't that wonderful? And that's the unwrapping of who Christ will be. What did Jesus say? Come unto me, all you that are what? Burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. Jesus didn't say, go and get your life cleaned up, then come back to me. He just said, come to me. And there in Noah, that little, it's being unwrapped. God is a God who says come. He's a God that invites. He's a God that desires you in his presence and under his protection. Uh, if you have your Bible, in Genesis chapter 7 and verse number 1, it says this. 
Uh, it says uh, in the ESV, Then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark. It's interesting, and I don't know why they picked some translations that are some uh, translation choices. It's the exact same word, come. And some translations in 7.1 will say, God said to Noah, come into the ark. Some will use the word enter into the ark. But the idea is, that's where God's presence and protection is. And so in this Noahic covenant that God is making, there's this unwrapping of who Christ is. Um, now let's look at three points uh, about this covenant. The first is this, who are the recipients of that covenant? Who is this covenant given to? We're going to spend most of our time now in chapter 9, verses 8 through 10, we'll start with. Verse 8, then God said to Noah and his sons, behold, I establish my covenant. And that word is used seven times in the passage we're looking at, verses 8 through 17. I will establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you, with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, every beast of the earth with you, as many as uh, came out of the ark. It is for every beast of the earth. Here's the first thing I learned. God said, I'm going to establish this covenant, Noah, with you and your, your uh, family. I learned this. The covenant was personal. This was a personal covenant that God was making. Now think about it. For over a year, they were in this ark, watching everything they knew, everyone they knew, be uh, destroyed, taken away. When you're in the ark under those circumstances, what are you thinking? We've thought many things during COVID, I'm sure. But magnify that by a hundredfold or whatever. They were in this ark. They were the last eight people they were seeing everything taken away, and they got to be thinking, what's next? What do we do? Uh, how does this look? And you know what God said, Noah? I got a covenant between you and me. I know exactly what you're going through. And I'm going to be there to meet your needs. It was a covenant that God made with Noah personally you know that's who god is that that's the unwrapping of who jesus is jesus desires to have a personal relationship with you jesus knows you personally jesus died on the cross personally for you and that is one of the pictures given in this noahic covenant that would be ultimately fulfilled in christ in the new covenant He's a personal God who desires to have that relationship with you. He knows every need you have, and he wants to be there for you. I also notice this. Uh, we didn't read these verses. You can look at them later. Right before the passage we're looking at, we're looking at chapter 9, verses 8 through 17. In verses 1 through 7, after they're out of the ark, God says a few things to them there before he actually states the covenant. And the first thing he says in chapter 9, verse 1 is, Noah, be fruitful and multiply on the earth. In verse 7, he says the same thing again. Be fruitful and multiply on the earth. Now, where do you remember that statement from? God saying that to who previously? Adam. You know what God is saying? Hey, things have changed. 
And what I told Adam and his, uh, the purpose that I had for Adam and mankind is still the purpose I have for you. Be fruitful and multiply. Things have changed. The world doesn't look the same anymore. But my purposes for you, Noah, have not changed. I love that. COVID's here. Absolutely. Stuff happens. The world has changed. But you know what hasn't changed? Is God's purposes for his people in Jesus Christ. He says, I still want you to glorify me. I still want you to grow in your walk with me. I still want you to be a witness in this world. And there are other things that we could say. So despite circumstances changing, God's purpose for Noah and God's purpose for you and me don't change. Don't ever lose sight of that. It gives us such great stability. Uh, also in that passage that we're not reading, God changed three other things. In, uh, ch in verse 2 of chapter 9, do you know that prior to the flood, Noah and mankind got along with the animals just fine? Do you remember how God brought the animals for Adam to name? Adam didn't have to go chase them down. They just showed up. And there, were, there was a friendliness among them. Uh, when God brought the animals to the ark, Noah did not go on a safari to bring the animals in. They showed up. And prior to the flood, there was not hostility between man and the animal kingdom. Because in chapter 9, after the flood, you know what it says? That God would put a fear in the animals of man. And that's where things changed. Do you remember in the book of Isaiah where God is talking about the future millennial kingdom? He says, wolf will lie down with the what? Lamb. A cow and a bear will graze together. A child will play next to a cobra uh, nest or, or a hole or where it habitates. And there will be no uh, disharmony. But after the flood, there was that disharmony that came. Second thing that changed is God said, from now on you can eat meat. Do you know prior to the flood, mankind was what? Vegetarian. But read it in chapter 9 of Genesis. Now he was given permission to eat meat. I expect a lot of amens on that. Okay? And, uh, but they were given and the third thing that changed is a civil government. There would be governmental authority that is now instituted. It talked about if a man murders someone, here's how you deal with it. And that would later be expanded to other crimes and things that government has oversight of. And so in spite of changes that took place, God's purpose never changed. The other thing just to note, it was a personal covenant. It also was universal. It says, your offspring after you. Do you know what that means? The Noahic covenant was with you as well and to you. It was only for Noah, but it was for Noah's offspring and offspring after that. You and I are part of Noah's what? Offspring. This covenant was with us. I went there, but God made that covenant with you and me as well. And so it was a universal covenant that God makes. I love that, because that also is a picture of Christ. What is one of the well-known verses, maybe the most well-known verse in the Bible say? John 3, 16, for God so loved the what? World. That he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The gift of Christ was for the world. Not a select group, 
but it was for you and me and everyone in the world that Christ came into the world and gave his life. And so it was a universal covenant. <coughs> Excuse me. Let's look now at um, verse 11. And here we're going to see what the promise was. God made a promise, a specific one. Verse 11. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. This was a unilateral covenant. Covenants came two ways. Some were bilateral. Next week, the Abrahamic covenant was a bilateral covenant. Abraham, you do this. God, I'll do this. Uh, the Mosaic covenant was a bilateral covenant. People of Israel do this. God will do this. This one only talks about what God was going to do. It was a unilateral covenant. It was a picture of grace. There's nothing you need to do, but this is what God is going to do. No wonderful picture of our salvation. For by grace you're saved through faith, not of yourselves, gift of God, not of works, so that no one will boast. And so here, God makes this unilateral covenant with him. Look at the chapter 8, verse 21. It says this, When the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, after Noah got out of the ark, he put a, he had an offering where he sacrificed an animal for God, animals for God. And God smelled that aroma coming up. The Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. So I'm not going to destroy the earth again this way. For, and look what it says next, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. So this was not a case of God saying, you know, Noah, if you guys clean up your act, I'll never do this again. That's not what this was. In fact, you know what God was saying? Noah, I know you and your descendants are not going to always have your act cleaned up. I know you're going to blow it at times. I know there will be sin that follows. But you know what? In spite of that, I will make this promise to you. A promise of grace. I won't destroy the earth again by flood. Isn't that wonderful? What does Romans 5, 8 say? God showed his love toward us in that while we were yet what? Sinners. Christ died for us. And so God made this unilateral promise in spite of our sin. What a great unwrapping of who Christ is. In fact, in this story, after you do read the part that we're reading together in the service, do you know what the next story is? Noah getting drunk. And other sin that came around that story. So God knew, you're not going to be perfect, but I'm still going to make my promise for you. That's our God. That's who Christ is. Um, he was a friend to sinners, and he gave his life so that we might be ransomed and saved. Uh, and then uh, it was an everlasting covenant. It says this, never again, never again will God destroy the earth by flood. Now note this, it's important. It doesn't say there will not be floods. There are floods, but never will a flood destroy the whole earth like it did in Noah's day. And it also, it does not say that God will not bring judgment to the earth. We know in uh, end times, he brings judgment not by water, but by fire. And in uh, a very cataclysmic judgment, much like in Noah's day. So that's going to happen. But God said, never again 
Will I destroy the earth by flood? His promise is eternal. And you know what? The promises of God, Old and New Testament, the promises of God found in Christ, made by Christ, are everlasting. He says, I will give you life. That's an everlasting promise. No one can snatch you out of my hands. Everlasting promise. All this here is temporal. God is in the business of the eternal. And he says, I'm going to give you eternal promises that you can count on. And so uh, that's what we learned there. And then the last part of this story that we're reading. I encourage you again, read chapter 6 through chapter 9. But in chapter 9, verses 12 through 17, <coughs> excuse me, let me read this part. And God said, this is, the, and this is the sign of the covenant we're going to read about. This is the sign of the covenant that I make between you and uh, me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow. Some translations say what? Rainbow. Because that's what we picture it as. I have set my bow or my rainbow in the cloud. It shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. When I bring clouds over the earth, the bow is seen in the clouds. I will remember my covenant. And it's not like God forgot. The word remember there has the idea of to act upon. So God was going to keep acting upon this promise. And uh, the rainbow was a symbol of his continually acting upon it. Uh, that is between me and you and every living creature of flesh. And the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant uh, between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign uh, of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. Sometimes covenants came with signs. Uh, next week when you see the covenant of Abraham, the sign of that covenant was circumcision. Uh, the covenant of, with Moses, that sign was keeping the Sabbath. Uh, when we get married and make a spiritual covenant with a spouse, a sign many times is a what? A ring. The ring doesn't marry me, but it's a sign that I'm married. And so here the sign was a what? A rainbow. Or a bow. And the word bow there is the exact same word used in the Bible to describe a warrior's bow. And the idea, it, oftentimes or sometimes it's used to describe the wrath of God in judgment or the wrath of a warrior. And so the symbol of a bow, uh, it, it's a, the, the word is a warrior's bow. <clears throat> I really appreciate uh, Mark uh, bringing in one of his bows today. And, um, and this is the idea, a warrior's bow. And so when a warrior would carry his bow, if it was wartime, he would carry it like this. So that if an enemy appeared, quickly he could grab an arrow and be ready to fire. That was wartime. If it was peacetime, he would carry his bow like this. When you look in the sky and see a rainbow, are your rainbows in that shape? Or are they in that shape? You know what God was saying? I'm not going to bring judgment like I did in the, in the flood with Noah. Not now. Now one day, as I said, and we're not going to get into it today, that judgment will come where God judges the world of sin and righteousness. But you know what God was saying? There's a time of peace. And there's a time to make peace with God. And that time is now. In uh, 2 Peter, 
It says, um, uh, God is uh, patient toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It's a time to make peace with God. Uh, Christ came into the world to make peace with God. Final thought. There's one thing, now the, the Noahic covenant is a wonderful covenant that we still benefit from today. We didn't read this, but the reason we have seasons is part of that Noahic covenant. And um, there's a consistency to life in this world because of the Noahic covenant. But there's one thing the Noahic covenant couldn't do. The Noahic covenant was primarily a covenant that affected physical life. But it did not change the heart of man. And it's only in Christ, the new covenant, the perfect fulfillment of all the covenants, the perfect gift, where the heart of man is changed. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, we read, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The Noahic covenant talked about new creation all around us after the flood, but it could not recreate a pure heart of man. And it says this in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. In Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. All this is from God through Christ, the perfect gift and the perfect covenant. And so I hope you know Christ today. I hope you have unwrapped him and seen who he is and come to that place where not only are you enjoying the Noahic covenant around you, but you have had a new covenant, a, new, a life change through a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you're not sure of that, I'd love to talk to you afterwards. Or maybe you know what it means to trust Christ as your Savior. Even as we close this service, you can pray and invite him into your heart. But understand this. The first four covenants were wonderful, but their fulfillment came in the person of Christ. And Christ is the one that can meet and fulfill every need spiritually in your life. Father, thanks for the word of God. And uh, thanks for these moments to open it up and share together. And I pray that uh, what has been unwrapped in the Old Testament, little by little, as we see that all coming to the perfect gift of Christ, uh, we would be men and women here and young people who know that we've come to the place where we've unwrapped that gift for ourselves and trusted Christ as our Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head over to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.